today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. studying probably one of the most important subjects in the Word of God. Sadly, much of the church world out here knows very little or anything at all about it. The sixth chapter of the book of Romans, which deals with the sin nature. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And this goes back to what Paul said in Romans 5 and verse 20, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The church of that day was made up mostly of Jews. For some 1,600 years, they were under the law of Moses. Their whole world was law. Their culture was law. And there were those who had accepted Christ, but they wanted to add Christ to their culture, their way of life. They wanted to add it to what they were doing. And Paul came out against this. There were those who wanted to continue with the circumcision, the feast days, the bringing the animal to be slain for sin offering and whatever the case. Paul said, if you do these things, Christ has become of none effect unto you, whosoever you are. Uh, If you try to keep part of the law, you're a debtor to do the whole thing if you're trying to be saved by the doing of these particular things. That didn't set too well. People got angry with Paul. They were coming up with any and every little thing in the world to discredit Paul. There were some who were saying that he was not of the original twelve that the Lord chose. And this subject of grace, this of which he was teaching, if it was truly of God, God wouldn't have given it to him. He would have given it to one of the original 12 disciples. So so Paul was constantly having to defend his apostleship, and they would take things and they would twist it. Like this verse here in Romans 5 and verse 20 where he said, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
they would take it and twist it and say, well, Paul's giving us a license to sin. We can just go out here and do whatever we want to do, and grace will cover it. That ain't what Paul was saying. And here in chapter 6 and verse 1, he's defending himself. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He very quickly uh, comes back with God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, in order to understand the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, you need to understand the word sin. Most of the time when you mention sin, people use it, they think of acts of sin. They think of sin as being a verb, but Paul used it as a noun. In Romans 5, verse 21, he said that as sin hath reigned unto death. Sin here is pictured as a king ruling and reigning in the heart and life of the human being. The sin nature. Sin is used as a noun in this verse. Also, if you'll look there, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ our Lord. Uh, grace is also used as a noun here. Grace can rule and reign within the heart and life of a believer. Grace is the divine nature, the Holy Spirit that comes inside the moment we're saved. Now, one or the other of these two natures is ruling and reigning within your heart and life. Which is it? The sixth chapter of Romans tells us how to have victory over the sin nature. And it's something that we need to study. Uh, Fifteen times in this chapter... The word sin is preceded in the Greek by what is known as the definite article. And it would read, the sin. Now when I say the sin, immediately people begin to think of a particular act of sin. And that's not what Paul is saying. He's talking about the principle of sin, the sin nature. So as we're reading throughout this chapter, uh, some... 16 or 17 times in this chapter, you'll see that the word sin is used. 15 of those times, that word is preceded by the definite article, and the word sin is used as a noun. So as you're reading through this chapter, if you would substitute the words sin nature, every time you see the word sin, you'll come away with a better understanding of what Paul is trying to to say here in this chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the word continue means to remain or abide. So we could ask the question this way. Shall we as believers remain or abide in the same relationship to the sin nature as we did before we were saved? And as we said a few moments ago, Paul said, no, God forbid. In other words, don't, don't even think like that. 
How shall we, verse 2 of Romans 6, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? At the moment of salvation, our relationship to the sin nature died. And we began a new relationship with the divine nature. And we talked about relationships last week. Um, I was in a number of relationships before I met Dana. Now, before Dana and I started dating, I made sure that those other relationships were over. They were dead. Because if they were not dead, then I would be dead. You understand what I'm saying? And Dana's nodding her head, amen. Um, so when we talk about death, there's death as it pertains to relationships. I think all of us know of, of situations in families where things have taken place, events have occurred, and uh, the relationship between father and, and, and daughter, or mother and daughter, or father and son, husband and wife, uh, things are not as they ought to be. Uh, that relationship is dead. Both individuals are still alive, but they're dead to one another. They're, they're not doing things together like they used to do. And what we're talking about is a relationship to the sin nature that is dead. Uh, we don't do the things that we used to do. The Bible says we're dead to that. Now, we need to keep in mind what death is. Death is not annihilation or elimination. Death is separation. You have physical death. That's when the soul and the spirit leaves this physical body and, and goes into eternity, whether that be heaven or hell. That's physical death. Then we have spiritual death. And that is eternal separation from God. So death is simply separation. And there has been a separation, an operation of God, if you will, that has taken place within the heart and life of the believer. If you will, go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, we're going to look at that in a moment, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. There's that operation of God. There was a circumcision that was made without hands. We all know what physical circumcision is. God gave it to Moses about eight days after a baby boy was born, uh, circumcision was to take place. Uh, that is where some flesh is removed from the male uh, member. And uh, there is the cutting of flesh. There is blood involved. 
and there is the removal of flesh, that, that, that is circumcision. But this is a circumcision that is made without hands. We're talking about a spiritual circumcision. Um, in physical circumcision, something is cut off. In spiritual circumcision, something is cut off as well. And it is the sin nature that is cut off at the moment of salvation. And it is cut off, listen to me now, but it is not removed. Now let me show you this. First John chapter 1 and verse 8. First John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, talking about the sin nature. If we say we have no sin nature, and John is talking to Christian folk now. If we say we have no sin nature, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the sin nature is cut off, but it is not removed. It is still there. Why does God leave it? And the question was asked some weeks ago, why doesn't God just remove the sin nature from us? Why does he allow it to stay? Well, he allows it for disciplinary reasons to keep us humble, for one thing. Because we have the same problem that the Jews of old had, uh, that when they would keep the law, they, they would get prideful and whatever the case. Look at me, look at what I'm doing, I'm better than you. And really, uh, spiritual pride is the worst pride there is. It stinks in the nostrils of God, and uh, God don't like it, and he's not going to abide with that kind of pride. But God allows the sin nature to stay to keep us humble. The second reason God allows it to stay, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam partook of that fruit, whatever kind of fruit it was, he eats something. And whatever you eat gets absorbed into your bloodstream. And it affects you physically. So there is a spiritual aspect to sin. There is also a physical aspect to sin. Now, the moment you get saved, God cuts it off. It's that circumcision that is made without hands. But there is a physical aspect of sin that cannot be removed. And let me just put it this way. If God removed the sin nature at the moment you got saved, you'd be dead. You'd, you'd, you'd be dead. Because somehow, somewhere... It's in our blood. It's not only just our nature, the spiritual part, but it's a physical thing. Every single human being born has that proclivity to do that which is wrong. They say that if they could find the gene that causes a person to drink alcohol... And they're doing studies on this now. If they could find that gene that is corrupt and remove it and, and put a good gene in the place of it, then we can stop a person from drinking alcohol. 
They're dealing with the physical aspect of sin. But until the sin nature, the spiritual part, is addressed, all they're going to do is put a good gene in there and it's going to become corrupt as well. So, you know, it's like this deal back some years ago. You don't hear much about it nowadays, but back years ago with the cloning thing. They try to clone Betsy or what, who, that, that cow or that goat, whatever it was, and uh, they, they wanted to clone human beings. Well, that didn't turn out too good. It didn't work out like they thought. But if God removed the sin nature at the moment of salvation, we'd be dead. The sin nature will be totally and completely removed when the rapture takes place. Or when you draw your last breath, whenever that may be. That's when you will be freed from the sin nature, both spiritually and physically. You are right now, spiritually speaking, spiritually the sin nature is cut off. It shouldn't be bothering you. Our biggest problem with the sin nature is not so much spiritual as it is physical. Like I said, it's been cut off. Jesus addressed that at Calvary, and the moment we put our faith in his finished work, the sin nature was cut off. Well, Brother James, why am I having such a problem? What do you mean my problem is more physical than it is spiritual? Back some years ago, working with different industries. One particular company that I worked with, they operated 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this particular year, things was off bad. And they decided to shut the plant down for a couple of weeks during the 4th of July holiday weekend in that plant we had this huge tank and it supplied water out to all the equipment in the plant and over the years they had added machines and added machines and added machines and whatever the case and you know when you got a big open tank of water here that water's going to evaporate into the air. So they run a pipe down in there and had a float valve on it. So when the water got low, the water would come on, fill that tank up, and it would cut off. Well, when the plant was shut down for two weeks, all the machines were shut off, doors was locked up, lights was out. The water got low in that tank, and the float switch went down and the water came on and started filling that tank well the float switch got hung and the water kept going into that tank and after a while it began to run over the edge and for a week and a half to two weeks that water was running out of that tank all over the floor it flooded the whole plant when they walked in that Monday morning after the Fourth of July uh, vacation time there, there was two inches of water all over that plant. Now, what did we as maintenance guys do? 
Did we go in and start ripping up carpet and toting out desk and did we call them up and say, hey, we need some new carpet and start putting in new carpet? No, the first thing you do is find out what the problem is. Where is all this water coming from? So you do a little research and you find out what your problem is. So it didn't take us long to find out that that float switch was hung and that's where all the water was coming from. The first thing we did was cut the water off. And once we cut the water off and we know this is the problem and we got it shut off, then starts the cleanup. And it took weeks to get everything cleaned up, put new carpet in and get things back the way it ought to be. The moment we got saved, the sin nature was cut off, just like we cut that water valve off. The problem was fixed, but the damage that was caused from that water running over for several weeks, all that had to be cleaned up, and that took time. The sin nature has been operating within our lives for years. It's been running over its banks, running over the edge for years. And it has made a mess within our hearts and lives. We don't think right. We don't act right. And it takes time to clean all that up. The moment you're saved, the sin nature is cut off. And now the cleanup begins. The Holy Spirit begins to clean you up. He begins to invade all the areas and corners and crevices. He takes that Holy Ghost mop and he thoroughly purges his floor. And let me tell you, the Holy Ghost has got his work cut out for him. Some more than others. Some areas of the plant was in worse shape than others. Some human beings are in worse shape than others. Getting cleaned up. Cutting the water off don't take but a minute. But it takes a lifetime to clean up the mess that it's caused. And that's what happens in our hearts and lives when we accept Christ as our Savior. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit came into our lives. The sin nature was cut off. The Holy Spirit begins to clean up. He'll only continue to clean up as long as we keep our faith anchored in the finished work of Christ. He'll do the cleaning up. Your part is to keep your faith anchored in Christ. The problem is we see these problems and things in our lives and we want to do some cleaning up. Well, I can fix that. I know how to stop that. That cigarette problem, I know how to stop that. I go get me some Nicorette chewing gum. I can I can fix that. That overeating problem I've got, well I'll just fast twenty one days and that'll You begin to allow your faith to shift from Christ and what he's done to something else. 
And the church today is constantly coming up with something else to do. Something else. Something else. Anything other than Christ and his finished work that you put your faith in, yet it is misguided faith. God will not recognize it. The Holy Spirit is going to step back. And buddy, if you want to do it, he's going to let you try. But you're going to make a mess. But the moment you allow your faith to shift from Christ and what he's done to something that you do, and it makes no difference what that something else is, the moment you allow your faith to shift to something else, the sin nature becomes reactivated. It's like cutting that water faucet back on, and, it, and you, you've got the same problem again. Why is it that we... And you've seen it happen all your life. Those of you that's been in the church for years. You see people get saved, they come in, they're on fire for God for a little while, and then they just drop away. What happened? They didn't understand this of which I'm trying to tell you tonight. And Paul said, Romans 6, verse 3, Know ye not. This is something that you need to know. And repetition is the best teacher. That's why I say a lot of things that I say over and over and over and over again. Repetition is the best teacher. And we need to be reminded of things. And Paul said, no, you're not. You need to know this. If you don't know it, you need to know it. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, the moment I say the word baptize or you see the word baptized, immediately our minds go to water baptism. It is a physical act that takes place. We, we can see it. We, we visualize a person going down in the water and coming up out of the water. But that is not what this verse is saying. It says, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ has nothing to do with water baptism. Water baptism is just a symbol or a sign of this which has taken place spiritually. You are baptized into Jesus Christ. Which is the same thing he said in Colossians 2 and verse 12, which we looked at just a few minutes ago. Now, the Greek word for baptism is baptisma. Baptisma. It refers to something being placed into a new environment or in the union with something else in order to alter its condition or relationship to its previous environment or condition. Let me say that again. Baptism here refers to something being placed into a new environment or into union with something else in order to alter its condition or relationship to its previous environment or condition. It's like a blacksmith that takes a piece of hot iron and he puts it down in the water to temper the steel. 
That's what God has done with us. The moment of salvation, God placed us into a new environment. He placed us in the union with Christ. And when that happened, the power of the sin nature was broken and the divine nature was implanted within our hearts and lives. And we were instantly changed from a sinner to a saint. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Dana, if you will, pull that up. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there you have it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're baptized in Christ. You're in a new environment. You're in a new union. You're in a new relationship. The old relationship is dead. I don't want to fool with that anymore. I'm in this new relationship now. Now, if you will, go back to Romans 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. That's the cross. In the mind of God, when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. Just like when Adam partook of that fruit in the Garden of Eden, and due to the natural process of procreation, we were all in Adam when he partook of that fruit. When Jesus died on Calvary, by faith, when you identify with Christ in the mind of God, when Jesus died on Calvary, you died with him. Just as we were all in Adam when he partook of that fruit, we were all in the loins of Adam, by faith, we can be in Christ when he died on Calvary's cross. And in the mind of God, that's what happened. Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. The old you was buried with him. That old sin nature, the old person that you used to be, you were buried with Christ in the tomb along with every single sin you've ever committed was buried in that tomb as well, never to be remembered against you anymore. God's forgot about it, and guess what? You should forget about it. When people try to bring up stuff from the past, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. That's the resurrection. The resurrection ratified what took place at Calvary, what Jesus did there. And like we've said before, if Jesus had have sinned so much as one time during his life, in word, thought, or deed, Jesus would not have been raised from the dead. But the fact that he rose from the dead, that is proof that he lived a perfect life. 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. Again, we died with him in the mind of God. We are buried with him. All of our sins were buried with him in that tomb. And when Jesus was resurrected, we also were resurrected in a new newness of life. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that now resides within our hearts and lives. And he said we are to walk in a newness of life. Walk is how you order your behavior. But see, before you got saved, you couldn't live right. You couldn't do right. The sin nature was, was dominating you and it was the driving force that drove you to do those things which were wrong. But now that the sin nature is cut off and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, you can now walk out what God has put in. You now have the power to do that which is right. The Holy Spirit, if you let the Holy Spirit have his way. And I'm just going to stop right there. There's a whole lot more that can be said, but we're going to just cut it off right there and we'll deal with that a little bit more later. program today has been a blessing to you we hope and pray that you'll share it with others this podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry go to establishedinthefaith.com click on the donate tab all donations are safe and secure through paypal we look forward to hearing from you